Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Losses Above Replacement, the greatest baseball podcast to grace your ears. I am today's host, Matthias Alton Kurosaki. With me, as always, we have my amazing co-hosts, Alex Clark and Ryan Splashpots. Gentlemen, first things first, as we start every episode with, how are we doing on this fine Monday evening? You know, we're doing all right overall. Did not start out the absolute best. I woke up not feeling a hundo, but that's okay. Uh, to, actually, there was fantastic news in uh, our family. My aunt, who has uh, like who has cancer, has her final chemo treatment today. So she got to do the whole ring the bell thing, and it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that is awesome news. Um and I think I have some awesome news of my own, I guess. Maybe not quite as awesome as that. Definitely not as awesome as that. Um, but I did apply to some MLB teams. So em- future employers, if you're listening, um, hello. I'm going to try not to make a fool of myself today. Yeah, and that, that is awesome here from both of you guys. Um, the confidence yeah. is just sterling, Splash. It's just absolutely <laughs> sterling. Give me the yeah. job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just do like the Thomas Sanders skit to say, please, please, please. It's the, no, it's the Eric Andre shaking the gate. Let me in. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Let me in. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm actually, I'm, I'm racing on Sunday. Uh, so that, that, that's, I mean, I, that's not something I get to do very often. So I'm looking forward to that. And, yeah, I'm just happy baseball's back, uh, back on TV being broadcasted. I haven't watched a ton of spring training baseball yet, uh, partially due to work, but it, you know, it's just a breath of fresh air whenever baseball uh, is back on television for the first time each year. So yeah, that's doing, going well. Uh, we're about to get some snow though over here, which isn't great. But other than that, yeah. I'm doing well, and uh, I say we don't over that- here a good bit. And uh, we had to, uh, we actually had one day last week where we uh, at work we had less than a half of our team there because people were snowed in. And I'm like, oh, that makes the day very less productive. And uh, yeah. I can confirm, Falls Church, Virginia got some snow flurries the other day. Yeah, we got some snow flurries on Saturday, but uh, really. Like that's the thing. We haven't had a major snowfall yet, but supposedly overnight we're going we could get five to eight inches of snow. I, I don't know if that's true because it's not supposed to dip below freezing. But anyway, that's beyond besides the point. But anyways, I say we hop right into today's show. We've been doing our position rankings. Today we move on to the final position uh on the diamond, uh, excluding pitchers, obviously, uh, which is right field. This is a very stacked position. Uh, we I know that shortstop we talked about that was a super deep position. Right field is probably just as deep, if not deeper. So I say we get into this one. There's a lot of names I'm sure we can hear here. Um, I think we all we I, I feel like we all might have different rankings again, just like last week. So uh, let's go ahead with number five splash. You go first on this. Who is your fifth best right fielder? So. This is a brutal one, right? Because uh, I'm going to talk about Fernando Tatis for a second. Of course, he came up as a shortstop. You think, oh, he's a shortstop. He's going to be a shortstop forever. Machado's going to play third. And now it looks like Fernando Tatis will play right field to utilize his rocket launcher of an arm. And 
I don't know how to feel about it. I was thinking about this the other day that I think a lot of the value we all had in Tatis, I don't know about you guys, but a lot of the value that I had in Tatis was that he was a shortstop, was that, you know, he was different from Acuna and Soto and these other young young superstars because he played shortstop. He played the most important, well, besides catcher, the most important position on the diamond, the, the captain of the infield, if you will. And now he's going to be playing right field. And I think that's going to kind of diminish what we think of Tatis. For, for certain, it's going to hurt his war total. He was a historically relevant war accumulator at shortstop. And now, you know, with positional designations, he's going to get whacked with that. And he hasn't played a lot of the outfield at a major league level. So I do have some issues with how is he going to be defensively? And his issue in the infield was always the arm accuracy. And I don't exactly think throwing from 300 feet away is going to help his accuracy there. So I think Tatis... Needs to be in the top five. I have some issues with him playing right field. I don't know if he's going to post a top five war season, especially considering he's going to miss the first month of the season. But he's a stellar player. He's one of the best I've ever seen do it. Granted, that's a small sample size, but he's a superstar. He just needs to stay on the field and stop taking ringworm medication. Oh, ringworm medication. It will always get you. Anyway, um, before I go into my number five, I do want to make one quick clarification on something here. Um, for those of you that paid attention to our left fielder rankings, I did not have one Juan Soto on that list, and that was because I valued him as a right fielder as opposed to a left fielder. So that is why uh, the other two will not have Soto on the list and why I didn't have uh as a, and why I will have him on my list. Is he number five, though? Of course not. He's too good for that. My number five is going to the team that I very much do dislike, the Houston Astros. Kyle Tucker is my number five. Tucker is a fantastic player that really emerged onto the scene in the last couple of years, really. This was really, I think, the big breakout year. One of the best offensive wise uh, right fielders coming in with a fan grass offensive war 23.9. He's got a decent walk rate, not the best, but at ninety at excuse me at nine point seven percent and a strikeout rate at only fifteen. Actually, ranks him as one of the better right fielders overall when it comes to strikeouts. Get a decent batting average at two fifty seven, but a guy that can really clobber the ball. He's pretty darn solid defensively. Is he the best defensive outfielder? Absolutely not, but. Can he still do the job and do the job well? Absolutely, he can. He's a good offensive player. He's a good defensive player. He is one He's one of the players why uh, the Astros were so okay with moving on from guys like Springer. is because they knew they had Kyle Tucker there ready to go, ready, lying in wait. So with that, though, he has truly ro- risen to the occasion, and he is one of the reasons why the Astros won the 2022 World Series. So with that being said, he is my number five on my list. Yeah, and so uh, uh, I'm going to speak to Splash's point, uh, which is with Tatis, you know, in there's a very high chance that he ends up in this top five just because of, look, he's so young. He's, I believe he just turned 24. He's incredibly, incredibly talented. I mean, this guy, he's, he, he's basically a five-tool player. He hits the ball a mile. He runs really fast. He has good range. The arm accuracy thing that always bothered me is it felt like he short armed everything because he has a strong arm, but he's he looked it looked like he was worried about overthrowing every single time. So I think 
All right, you know, his arm strength, I think, will play in right field. Uh, I just, I, I haven't seen enough of him playing the outfield to put him in my top five. That's why I don't have him in on my rankings. And it's also that he hasn't played in over a year now. So what are we going to see from him? And is his shoulder going to be okay? I know he just had an operation on his shoulder. Uh, so, and I believe he had, he had, uh, surgery on his wrist last year so he's coming in a bit banged up uh or he was a bit banged up last year so because i don't know what to expect from him i don't have him in my top five i feel like there's a world where if i could say if i could say yeah. one thing on that i'm yeah. exactly with you i do not have him in my top five either and it's for the same kind of reasons it's for the idea that one he's going to a position that he is fairly unfamiliar with we've seen him play a little bit in the outfield but we see him more as an infielder. And on top of it, the biggest thing I think with it is that he's going to be coming off of a stretch of over a year of not playing baseball at the professional level. He's going to be coming into a team that is really going to need him. And he's going to be playing in that position, but I want to see how he's going to respond to it. If he even plays to begin with, like, again, we don't even know that he's going to play. We know that again, with his injury concerns that, accidents and other problems can happen do we want that to happen absolutely not but at the same time i i there's too many question marks for me to put him even on this list and i, yeah, I think that's totally yeah. fair for the both of you i will say with the shoulder injury uh the marlins moved brian anderson from third to right field last year and that alleviated some of the shoulder stuff because from the outfield you're gonna have the same uh for lack of a better term, throwing motion on 99% of your throws. And you're not going to have as many, you know, full strength throws as a third baseman or a shortstop would have. So I think that's going to be a little bit less wear and tear on the arm. He's going to still have some rockets, but you're going to have fewer rockets and fewer important throws. A lot of the outfielders are just going to, you know, lob it into the infield or, you know, have a, a 50% throwback. So. I think it's totally fair to leave him off the list. I am curious to know who your number five is, though, Mac. Yeah, so my number five is the former Astro, George Springer. Uh, Springer will be moving over to right field, which is probably for the best. If you take a look at his defense, it looks like he's be he's been taking a step back in center field. And with, with his injury concerns, it's, it's very justifiable to move him over to right, especially as he enters his mid-30s. But he was still productive last year. You know, he hit... He hit 25 homers. He stole 14 bases, I believe. Uh, yep, I have his stat page up right now. So, yeah, 25 homers, 22 steals, four triples, four, uh, yeah, 14 steals, giving him four baseball reference war, 4.2 fan graphs war. So, overall, very productive again. 133 games, so more than he played in 2021 when he only played 78. thing is that in, seven, in 78 games in 2021 – he hit 22 homers, and last year he only hit 25. So there, there are some numbers showing that he might be on the downswing right now, but he cut his strikeout rate down again, 17.2%. I remember when, when Springer first came up, he like his big issue was strikeouts. So that's good to see. He's, his walk rate dropped a bit, but it's still 9.3% is solid. It's the lowest of his career, but it's fine. Um, you know, really, his defense, I think – he has enough range to still play right field. You know, all, all the metrics kind of show though. He's, he's not what he used to be. I mean, he had, all right. He had 0.1 UZR in the outfield last year. That's down from 
You know, it was as high as 3.9 in 2019. He he just he doesn't he he doesn't have the same foot speed anymore either. It's dropped on Statcast also. So in general, I think if he moves to right field, he'll be fine. Like I said, also negative four defensive runs saved in center field. So yeah, I think if you put him in right, he's going to have enough range to play right field. I think having Kevin Kiermaier playing center will definitely help him out. So I have him at number five. I think he's still basically he's sort of a five tool player. I'd say he he can hit for power still, even though his his stat cast numbers show that he's on the downswing. Uh, I think he's still an above average hitter, still an above average enough base runner. Uh, his defense is going to improve and right. So I have him at number five. Uh, so we all have a different number five, which is uh, which is I, I'm I'm not surprised there, honestly. And I'm I'm going to continue. I'm going to go with my number four right fielder, and this might surprise some people, but. I have Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, and this Acuna may have been the toughest guy to rank here because when he's when he's healthy, we know how good Ronald Acuna Jr. is. In 2019, he was almost a 40-40 guy. In 2020, when he was on the field, he had a 987 OPS. He was rookie of the year in 2018. He was you know, he had a 990 OPS in 2021. He was an MVP candidate when he tore his ACL. But last year, and maybe it was because he was playing through his injuries, he, he just took he – did, he didn't look like himself. You know, his OPS was still above average, 764, but that was the lowest it's ever been in his career by over 100 points. The next lowest was 883 in 2019. In addition, he only had 2.8 reference war and 2.2 Fangraphs war. So by in, by uh, defensive metrics, he was below average. He still hits the ball hard, yes, but it's just it, he didn't look like himself. He's still young. He's only going to be 25 this year. So I think you know there's a very real chance that Acuna bounces back and is at least some some resemblance of his old self, but because of all the struggles he had last year with his injuries and just his numbers falling off, I have to put him at number four. So, I I mean, I, I feel like Acuna is probably the tougher one to rank. Alex, you go next then. No, I'm 100% with you actually on this one, Mac. I think that Acuna is probably the weird – the hardest person to put on his list because we know that when he's at the top of his game, he's at number two, maybe even a number one. When he is at the bottom of his, of his game, he's still really, really good. But also the fact that you know his his injury concerns are always going to be always going to be part of this. And that's why I also have I actually also have Acuna at number four. I mean, I look at Acuna and you can't take a look at his twenty twenty two stats and say that's the ball player you're looking at. Because it's it really doesn't jump off the page all that much. It does a little bit, again, but a walk rate of just under ten percent, striking out just under twenty four percent of the time. Yeah, bad bit, but three thirty one is very, very, very good. And then a WRC plus of one fourteen, and the defense. I mean, I think his defense is good. As I don't think it's the greatest. Get don't get me wrong, but still a good defensive player. I would have him over a lot of right fielders. But the thing when you look at Acuna is you really have to look at what are you going to get with him. And as you've seen from him, 
whenever he has played, it's always been a little bit up in the air. When he plays and he plays well, he will lead a team to a World Series. When he plays and does when he does not play, the team starts to falter a little bit. I know what Smash is going to say about, again, the World Series run that didn't have him on it, but he is still a leader, and he is still a person that really can light up a team. His offensive numbers are absolutely stacked. Again, a career war of 17.6 for a guy that is, what, only been in the league for five years? That's I, I take that. That is solid. A career OPS of 887 and a career OPS plus of 133 is astounding. He is a great player. I have, again, worries about the fact that, again, the last time that he played a full season was 2019. I guess you could say 2020, but that was, again, we, we don't talk too much about 2020. He still only, in that 60-game season, played 46 games. The season before that, 82, and then 2022 was 119, so better but still not the best. I think that Acuna is definitely worthy of being much higher on this list, but I think him being at number four with how good he is really speaks to the depth of the right fielders that we have. Fair points all around. Um, so for my number four, I have the reigning world series champion, Kyle Tucker, uh, just the depth. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's happening? Okay, my apologies, something... Okay, anyways, some audio was playing on my laptop. I got very confused. Coming in at number four for me, I have Kyle Tucker of the Houston Astros. He is the definition of a five-tool player. Um, Hits for contact, hits for power, runs the base as well. Good arm and a terrific fielder. Won the gold glove in right field last year. And, you know, he finally put it together. I was very much on the Kyle Tucker hype train moving into last season. If you recall on our episode we recorded on april fool's day um i called him justin tucker but uh, i said he was one of my candidates major candidates for al mvp that didn't quite materialize but he's still a terrific player 257 batting average 330 on base 478 slugging hit 30 home runs drove in 107 25 steals the only guy um in my five to be in the 25 25 club last season 28 doubles as well and he's going to play rock-solid defense in right field for Houston. He's a great player, uh, plays reasonably well in the postseason, and the future is very bright. Um, he's entering his year 26 season, so you probably have another decade of watching Kyle Tucker there, Alex. Yeah. And I mean, as uh, much as, like, as much as I – yeah, yeah, as much as, like, you know, I hate hearing that because, again, he's going to be playing against my Mariners a good bit. He is good for baseball. He's a great player. He's done exceptionally well for the game. And the he had an impossible task of trying to replace George Springer. And he's done that and more. Like I'll say right now, I don't have Springer on my list. I have Tucker on mine. Yeah, I, I, you guys, I think, have hit it on the head. I mean, he's going to be a problem for the AL West for a long time. I'm sure the Astros are probably going to shell out a lot of money for him. Uh, assuming they do extend him. So <laughs> I'm curious to see how that plays out. But anyway, I say we move on to number three. Alex, you go first here. Who do you have at number three? All right. So in the spot that's probably going to make Splash not like me very much, I have one Juan Soto at number three. Now, hear me out before there are angry comments here. 
is Juan Soto one of the most feared and most interesting hitters in all of baseball? Absolutely not a question of a doubt. Juan Soto is a fantastic hitter that when that man has a bat in his hands, there are very few players more feared than Juan Soto. Why is he number three? It's defense. The other three guys that I have on my, the other two guys I have on my list, I would classify as being solid defenders as well as being really good hitters. Juan Soto is a generational level hitter that is absolutely, again, absolutely phenomenal. The fact that this kid, this guy's only been in the league for five years. He's only 23 years old and has already racked up 23.2 baseball reference war. Just in 2022 itself, which a lot of people still say was a down year, I'm one of them, and still racked up 5.6 war in this one season with an on-base percentage of 401. The dude has a career on-base percentage of 424. This dude is a walks machine. He is Billy Bean's uh, like complete fantasy at this point to make a money ball reference. But the thing that I'm always, 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 always going to be Dalf Love is the defense. And to be fair, I got to see it firsthand when the Padres played the Mariners in spring training just a little bit ago. He had a easy pop fly over in left field and it just bounced right out of his glove for an error. And look, I know that that's, you know, a one in a however many. But what I'm getting at here is that this is common for Soda. He is not a good defender. When you put him in the outfield, he is a liability. Is he the worst thing out there? No, obviously not. Norichika Aoki existed for a time. But I do think that when he is there, it is a problem. And you can hit the ball to right field, and that fear that you saw with him in the batter's box is gone. It is completely gone. Whereas the other two guys that I have on my list, you fear them both at the dish and in the field. I mean, Splash, who do, who do you have at number three, then? All righty. I have gone back and forth on this the entire day. I woke up this morning. I know who number one is. I know who number four is. I know who number five is. But I've gone back and forth on two and three. And, you know, I, I think I'm going to have to go with my gut here and say number three, I have Los Angeles Dodgers right fielder Mookie Betts. So Betts, like I said with Tucker is the consummate, you know, five-tool player. Hits for contact, hits for power, good arm, great fielder, you know, historically great in right field, and he runs the base as well. Um, only of the 12 steals, I don't, the Dodgers kind of don't like stealing bases, um, but I'd imagine if, if, you know, hey, maybe Major League Baseball changes their rules to help out base running just a little bit. He's one of the best base runners in baseball, just an incredibly smart player. Um you know, 142 games played, 35 home runs, 40 doubles. That doesn't happen very often um, out of the leadoff spot. Very, you know, demoralizing sort of player. I've talked about it with Jose Ramirez and players like Jose Ramirez that, you know, when Mookie Betts steps into the batter's box in the first inning, um, there's a decent chance he's going to take your soul and eat it for breakfast. Um, only 55 walks last season. So a 269, 340, 533 slug or 533 slash line, uh, good for a OPS plus of 136, you know, just an excellent player, excellent defensively. Uh, I don't have any qualms with Nuki Betts. Hey, that, that, that caught me off guard. I won't lie. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Anyways, at number three, I have Kyle Tucker. 
Tucker, I feel like, has been sort of underrated by the masses. I mean, the the guy hit thirty, like you said, thirty homers, twenty five steals. You know, I feel like this is a guy who could have a thirty thirty season eventually, and also a very efficient base dealer in the way that he didn't get caught very often, only uh, caught stealing four times, which I think I uh, shouldn't go unnoticed. It's you know, a lot of the best base dealers do get caught stealing a lot, uh, but you know. It, that's the thing is you also I feel like a lot of people don't think of him as like a speedy guy, but it's, it's funny because his sprint speed is only in the 32nd percentile, but he stole 25 bases. So in addition, five outs above average. So he's much improved in the outfield. He's cut down his strikeout rate to 15.6 percent, which is the lowest it's ever been. Uh, so he he's made a ton of strides in the outfield, and I'm really excited to see what he does going forward. So I have Tucker at number three. I, th- I feel like because of how good the position is, like number three is kind of where he's stuck. Like, you know, I, I feel like he, I, I don't, I don't see him going up. I don't see him going down necessarily. So I am at three. Like I said, he's only going into his age 26 season. So there's a chance, you know, he's probably just going to keep getting better and, uh, uh, AL West fans are going to have to get used to it because he's not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, anyways, I'm going to move on and jump into my number two uh, right fielder, and that is Mookie Betts. And I, there is probably a time, you know, not too long ago where Mookie Betts was number one. And it's not that Mookie Betts has gotten any worse, really. It's just that, I mean, the guy we have at number one is otherworldly. So, anyway, Mookie Betts last year. Uh, Lake Splash at 269, 340, 533. So that's very nice 136 OPS plus. And also, uh, in 142 games, he had a career high 35 homers. So in a year where I feel like some people, you know, I know that he he had an injury at one point. He, he was in a bit of a slump after a really hot month of May. I feel like some people almost consider it a down year, just like 2021. Got a career high in home runs. Still got fifth in MVP voting. Won a Gold Glove. Won a Silver Slugger. He he can basically do it all uh, in the field at the plate. He runs fast. You know he had another fifteen defensive runs saved, which is really good. Uh, outs above average again. He was strong. He had four outs above average and right. So not as great as his defensive run save will say, but overall. Just a great player. Also really fun to watch. He's got a great throwing arm in right field. So I have him at number two. Who do you guys have at the second spot? So at number two for me, I am actually right alongside you. I have Mookie as well. Mookie is a fantastic player that can do both offense, defense. That arm of his... I, every time I watch him grip a baseball out in right field to launch something back into the infield, I know I'm watching something special. Whenever he has that laser beam, I honestly, I get flashes of Ichiro. I get flashes of watching someone just gun someone down over at third base or over at second base. And, I mean, it's really hard to see any other reason why, any other position to put him other than number two. He is a fantastic hitter. He has been in the MVP conversation legitimately every single year since his age 22 season, except for 2021. Even then, he was still an all-star. And in each one of those MVP conversations, the only time that he wasn't in the top 
10 was in the very first year, 2015, where he was 19th. Um, that he's gone second, sixth, first, eight, second, and most recently, fifth. He is a dominant player, and the only reason why I put him in, in right field for this is that because that's where he normally plays, but we've also seen him play in a bunch of other positions, including second base, even. Like the guy has a ton of versatility, and on top of it, is an amazing hitter. We take we talked a little bit about his batting stats, but a career already fifty six point four career baseball reference WAR. The dude is twenty nine, and he's already got fifty six point four complete WAR through BaseballReference.com and a career on base percentage of three sixty eight. Not obviously not as great as Soto's. That's I'm not debating that at all. But what I am going to say is that he is just a much better fielder than Soto. That's probably why I'm putting him here at the number two slot. But right now, a also a fun, uh, nice average in 2022 of 269, 35 home runs, and again uh, a 6.4 WAR in 2022. Guys, the guy is just really good at baseball. Like the only reason he is not number one right now is because some guy in New York is uh, decided to have one of the greatest baseball seasons of all time. So let's just say, yeah, that's what's going to happen. He's a he's an amazing player, only number two because of the guy who's number one. Well, I get to be hung out to dry here. Uh, coming in at number two, I have one Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Atlanta Braves. <clears throat> so... Watching Acuna every day, just about every day of the season, you get a different perspective. And you can look at the baseball reference page, you can look at the stat cast page, and it's not where you think he should be. And one, that's a testament to how good he is. But two, it's it just kind of like leads you back into, well, why was he not as good? And I I guess I have some answers, but you know how you know, great NBA players will pick and choose their spots that they might not dominate the first quarter or dominate the second quarter, or dominate the third quarter. But in the fourth quarter, when it matters, they come through, you know, they make the big play. Or when the other team is on an 8-0 run in the middle of the second quarter and it's the superstar with four bench players and you just need a shot to stop the run, that's when he makes the shot. And that's when Ronald Acuna shines. and. I think there are a few players in the league that have the ability to capture the moment as Ronald Acuna does. It's the it, it's the moment. It's the the power. It's the the contact ability. It's just drawing clutch walks as weird as that sounds. And as much of a reputation as he has for kind of taking plays off and, you know, I will say some of it's warranted. He's not going to run out every single ground ball Hint: your favorite player doesn't either. And yes, he didn't back up Michael Harris on JT real Muto's inside the park home run. I'm aware. I watched that with my own eyes, but there are moments that Acuna is just a phenom, just a whirlwind. He can score from first on a single. How many other guys in major league baseball are doing that hint? None of them just, the just look at the peaks here so in in 2021 he was the national league mvp and then then he tore his acl that was indisputable other than maybe jacob Degrom. i don't remember when he were where he was on the injury timeline but regardless acuna was the best position player in the national league when he got hurt then he comes back this year above average season 
Batting average, very close to Mookie Betts, who's going to be number two on both of your lists. On base percentage, above Mookie Betts and Kyle Tucker, two of the best players in the game. The defensive metrics, yeah, I get it all over the place, but he has one of the best, if not the single best arm in baseball. That's going to save plenty of runs that you don't necessarily track with outs above average. But the the moments are what make Ronald Acuna special. The moments are why I have him at number two. Am I a biased Braves fan? Sure, but I am a... Braves fan with perspective here because I watch him every day and I see the the lack of hustle sometimes and I know he's coming off a torn ACL he can still ramp it up to 30 miles per feet per second he was in the top 25 in Major League Baseball in bolts last season off a torn ACL within a lot of those within 12 months off a torn ACL 2023 I think is a huge year I'm not going to predict him to win the MVP because I'm a curse on these things but I I'm all in for Acuna 2023. I am not going to bash that at all, Splash. Like, I'm not bashing it at all, especially considering that I put Julio Rodriguez as the best center fielder in baseball. So I have no room to speak. But, um, no, I think you make a fantastic point, and I agree with you 100%. I think that Acuna is, when healthy, one of the best players in all of baseball. Yes, there are issues, but he is still a fantastic player on every aspect of the game. Is he fast? Yes. Can he play decent defense? Yes. Can he hit the ball a country mile? Yeah. He can do all of that. So I only had him lowered just almost purely because of the injury concerns. Oh, I do want to throw it out there. He hit the ball just as hard in 2022 as he did in other seasons. He just wasn't putting the ball in the air. This is, I call it Vladimir Guerrero Jr. disease. So the second he starts launching, like his batted ball data better than Mookie Betts, better than just about everyone in baseball. Um, and by, you know, stat cast measures, he was one of the unluckiest hitters in baseball. Yeah, and I'm, I think a healthy Ronald Acuna, like he he's... A, arguably like a top five top 10 player in baseball he's he's so good he's really fun to watch man i uh even even last year whenever he came to the plate i felt like he was going to do something every every time so i think acuna is definitely in for a big season i'm I'm curious to see how how big of a season he will have but anyways moving on to number one it looks like we i believe we all have the same number one so splash kick us off who's your top right fielder right now all right, let's drum roll. We got to get some suspense up in here. You know, you know the whole nine yards here. Let me scroll to my list. Let me scroll to my list. All right, coming in at number one in my list of right fielders entering the 2023 season, I have Nationals legend Lane Thomas, of course. Um, I mean, obviously, who else would you put here? Okay, sorry. personally, I had Jeff Parker. So sorry, I made, I made a typo. Lane. I made a typo. I made a typo. Um, I have San Francisco Giants legend Arson Judge. Oh, sorry, that was so over your head to the Arson Judge. <laughs> that, okay. was Arson the best Judge. Thing of, that was the best thing of the offseason. <laughs> Look, actually, I almost got fired from U Stadium because of that, so I'm not going to talk about that anymore. But I do want to talk about Aaron Judge here. Of course, New York Yankees, they do open the season against the Giants, so he's kind of a Giant in a way. I have i don't want to say doubts because it was one of the most spectacular seasons i've ever seen he played center field half the time as well so he had a willie mays-esque season i don't use that lightly he had one of the greatest seasons of all time playing center field with great defense there 
and he always came through in the big moment. You look at just about anything Yankees that mattered, Aaron Judge was at the center of it, other than Jose Trevino's framing. And I don't want to discount that. I, I think it was a magical season. But I do wonder if that's an outlier season, if that's a if that's his peak, or if that's something he can do again, if he can do another season like that, maybe not 62 home runs, because I look, that's 60 is preposterous. Ruth only did it once. Maris only did it once. Barry Bonds only did it once. You know, guys like that. But I do wonder. He is number one. He's a five-tool player. He's a great defensive right fielder, and he is going to be robbed of historical relevance from the right field position because of gold gloves being a flawed statistic and a flawed way to measure how great one is defensively. But he checks off the defense box. He's one as one of the best arms in the outfield. He is a good contact bat, which is weird because he's 6'7", 260. You know, he looks like a linebacker. And then, of course, he is prodigiously powerful at the dish, and he has a great batter's eye. Although sometimes the umpires get a little greedy with the bottom of the strike zone, but that happens. My question to you guys is, is this judge the peak, the overwhelming best season of his career, or can he approach it again? Can he have another historic season maybe not 62 home runs maybe not 200 ops maybe not 10 war but another eight war season something like that like a, a trout would have he trout doesn't have just one trout year he has a bunch that's what makes him special that's what makes may's special aaron special ruth garrig williams um can judge do something remotely close to this again yes but also no and here's what i mean by that does is he able to do it. Absolutely. But I think right now, this last season, put the biggest target on his back from every major league pitcher. And I'm not talking about like beaning or anything like that. I'm talking about that. He is the one hitter, the one hitter that you're going to pitch around more than any other guy this year. And that I'm going to, I'll put that even more so than, um, I'll put that even more so than, um, Juan Soto. I think that this guy may lead in walks this year and he'll have a good number of intentional ones. Yeah. But I also think that there are going to be very few pitchers that are going to give him the kind of pitches that can be hit out of the ballpark this year, because last year was such an anomaly an anomaly in just, in what is normally seen as a, able to be done in baseball. It was such an anomaly and yet he pulled it off and made it look like he was easy. So that's going to make things really scary is that he has the ability to do it. It's about, is he going to get the opportunity to do it? And I don't think he is. I, and it's not for, it's honestly more of a testament to his greatness than anything else. But looking at it right now, I don't, if I'm a pitcher, I am working those corners as much as I possibly can. I am trying to see if I can get him to swing and miss on an outside slider. I am trying to see if I can get him to swing and miss on a 12-6 curveball in the dirt. I am not putting anything, even an inch, even an inch within the line of the zone here the entire year, if I get the chance. Yeah, and here's the thing is that I feel like, you know, he was so great this year with his 62 homers and his 11-plus war and his check notes 207 wrc plus this year 
that we almost forget that his rookie season, his true rookie season in 2017, he had a 174 WRC plus and he hit 52 homers. So I, you know, and even obviously there were the injury concerns before this year, but like even between 2017 and this season, he's consistently been between like 140 and 150 in WRC plus. And when he's healthy, he is one of the best players in baseball. I think honestly, he was underrated because uh, because of all the injuries he's had. I, I think it, he was a top five MVP vote getter in 2021. Obviously, he won it in 2022. I'm not saying he's going to hit 62 homers again. I think that's a lot to ask for. But even if he just hits like 45, I think he he'll probably be around 45 this year, or even hits 50 again. I, I we're looking at a guy who I think will be a Hall of Famer. I mean, this, he's just, he, he's so gifted uh, at the plate. Like the, the lone drawback is all right. He strikes out a little bit. I can live with the strikeouts. If you're hitting like him, he draws so many walks too. He even hits he hit three eleven this year. He could steal some bases. He stole 16, 16 bases. Watching him play defense is a ton of fun because I, you know, he was the tight end when he played football back in high school, but he throws the ball like a quarterback and the ball just like sort of explodes when he throws it. So I judge he's, a ton of fun to watch. I did go to a game the last week in the regular season to see him try to get 62, which he didn't. But I, I, I'm not saying he's going to hit 62 homers again. I think he is going to be an MVP candidate again this year and going forward. So I have him at number one. Uh, so it looks like we all, uh, we all have the same number one, but we have different ranking. The rest of our rankings are all different, which is good. We, we have that. It was the same way last week i believe so let us know if we missed anyone you think i know there were guys like you know starling Marte, hunter renfro um you know say suzuki out there like oh there, there's a lot of guys who were considered for these rankings who just missed so let let us know if you think we missed anyone so i say we go ahead and move along here we're going to do some three words or fewer uh and we're, the first thing we're going to talk about and we talked about him last week uh, Manny Machado getting an 11 year, $350 million contract extension for the Padres. Guys, give me your three words or fewer reaction to this contract extension. So, this one's a little bit weird for me because I feel like that is, I want to kind of take one that Splash has used in the past and rework it a little bit here. But I'm going to say, um, my three words are empty threat bluff. The reason why is because at the beginning, like not too long ago, we were talking about how he had already said, I am opting out of that, out of this season. Let's let the, let's let the teams come and start talking to me. Come on, let's see it happen. And I thought it was going to be a big off season for that, where we were going to have the same as what happened in 2017, 2018. No, sorry, 2019 where uh, Machado was, alongside Bryce Harper for being the most like sought after free agent market. And within, what was it? Like within a week, he'd already signed a huge extension then back with the Padres. So I feel like what had happened with the announcement that he was going to opt out was just a bluff. I felt like that was a bluff from, uh, excuse me, from Machado to try and see if he can get the Padres to get to work early on him. And you know what? They fell for the bluff. They did it. And is it a bad thing they did? No, he's still a fantastic player. And you're still going to get an absolute ton of value out of him. But I do feel like he 
played it a little bit. He played it very well at that point, I'll say, as he got exactly what he wanted within a week's time. There was very little room for even doubt. When I saw that he had signed, I was I was honestly shocked because I'm like, okay, cool. It makes sense that he stays in San Diego, but after coming out publicly saying, hey, I'm like, hey, I'm opting out, to then say, oh, hey, actually, lol, I'm staying here for a while. It, it felt a little... It felt a little weird, right? Like someone who was a little, shall we say, greedy after winning a few hands of poker. So I think at this point right now, it's good that he's staying in San Diego because I think he fits really well with their scheme. But it just felt a little odd, you know? So I'm going to actually take this in a slightly different direction. Um, I do actually disagree with you, Alex. I think the it was kind of like an open secret that he was going to opt out because when you're as good as Manny Machado, it's like, you're just going to opt out. I, I I didn't think it was very newsworthy that, Oh, he's going to opt out. Of course he is. What's the point in going to make more money? You know, he's going to, there's zero point in getting the extension unless he like tears his ACL. So heaven forbid, let's no ACL tearing for Manny Machado. Please be healthy. Um, But my three words are, Hello, NHL contracts. This, along with Trey Turner's contract, along with Francisco Lindor's contract, along with uh, um, Fernando Tatis's contract, along with Carlos Correa's contracts, plural somehow, with the Mets and Giants. Major League Baseball is sort of kind trying to adopt some of these hockey-style contracts that are gargantuan in terms of years, but that average annual value isn't as high as you think it is. And they kind of drop near the end. <clears throat> so when Machado is entering his 40s, or when you Darvish, who also signed an extension, is entering his 40s, the number's going to be a little bit lower. It's still obviously one of the highest paid players in baseball. But that number is intentionally lower in those last few seasons so the entire value of the contract looks a little bit lower. So Trey Turner is going to be making a lot of money now, a lot of money the next couple of years, but the last couple of years of his deal is not going to be making quite as much. Padres legend, by the way, um, twice over. Um, so you have these contracts and general managers, cap wizards are maneuvering and making Manny Machado make a little bit less money per year. So you can squeeze an extra million dollar here, an extra here, an extra here. So you don't have to go full New York Mets and pay the luxury tax every year. You can save a million dollars here, save a couple million dollars here. The player's still going to get his money. You know, you still have to throw that in escrow. But I think it's, it's clever of these teams. I, I think the Braves do it as well, that you commit the long-term deal, you commit all the money, but you bring it at a slightly reduced average annual value deal instead of, you know, giving him $50 million a year over a, a shorter deal, like say a six-year $300 million deal. Well, let's do more money, but over a long term, longer term. So my three words are Nolan is backtracking and i'm referring to nolan arenado because uh, nolan arenado uh, i believe it was after last season opted into his contract that uh, is paying him 32 and a half million per year through 2028 and now i am wondering what happens if nolan opts out of his contract 
you know, he's probably thinking like, man, why did I opt into my contract? Because if he'd opted out, he probably would have gotten paid a lot of money and gotten a contract similar to Machado. I know Spotrack sort of values Machado more, giving him $34 million annually compared to Arenado. It only says $28.5 million, but they're both like, you know, really good third baseman offensively and defensively. So I, I, you know, this, it's great for Machado. It's great for the Padres. You know, he's only 30. I'm sure at the end of that contract, it's going to hurt a bit, but the Padres, they're going for it this year. They're, I think one of the favorites to make the world series, if not win the world series. So I, I like this deal a lot for both sides, you know, Machado, he's, He's still my MVP pick, I think, in the NL. So, anyways, uh, our one more three words or fewer topic uh, is about the pitch clock. Uh, we've seen a lot of goofy things with the pitch clock already. So, uh, Splash, you go first here. Give me your three-word reaction to uh, our experiments with the pitch clock. Uh, my three words are getting used to. It's... An adjustment. Um, I can't really say if it's good or bad yet. I do see both sides because on one hand, you want the games to be a little bit faster. But on the other hand, that's for the casual fan, right? We're, we're baseball podcasters. We run our, we run a baseball Twitter account. We are huge baseball fans. Does watching a game that takes 15 minutes less matter as much to us? I don't think it's going to matter as much to the diehard fans, the fans like us that are going to watch 100 games a year, 150 games a year, more than that even. The ones that have an MLB TV subscription, the ones that have Mariner season tickets, the ones that work for a baseball league, right? I, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it as much as like a casual baseball fan would because I do like some of the, you know, some of the nuances between pitchers and hitters. Some of that that we especially get in the playoffs when it's a mind game, you know, it's a pitcher and a batter. The pitcher knows what he's going to throw. The batter thinks he knows what the pitcher is going to throw. And it's that game of chess of, am I actually going to throw the 98 mile per hour heater? Am I going to throw a change up here? I'm going to, or am I going to make you look like an idiot and throw an EFIS by you? Right. So I think we're going to lose some of the chess match, but I think it is going to help the, you know, the speed of the game quote, it definitely is going to help the speed of the game and it might help even more with base paths. And it's also going to give MLB more time to advertise. So maybe they can get a little bit better at advertising their product. All right. So I'm actually going to go the opposite end as you swash a little bit here. And I'm going to say, Thank the Lord, as my three words, because I think this is something that baseball has needed for a long time. Yes, baseball is really fun. Yes, baseball is a thinking man's game that you want to make sure you get everything exactly right. But there's a reason why they also got rid like they brought in the shot clock in basketball, because otherwise you're going to have six to three games that took forever to see. And it just got boring. In baseball, do I think that a three-hour game is boring? No, I relish every moment of it. I love watching baseball. But baseball is working so hard right now to try and keep going with the younger audience, with the younger generation, and to keep bringing that in. And they've got the players. The players are doing that to a phenomenal degree. Players like Judge, like Jazz Chisholm, like Julio Rodriguez. Now what you need to do is make sure that you can hold their attention. How can you hold their attention? Shorting the games, getting a lot more action in with them, 
And that's exactly what this is doing. All it's really doing right now is just taking out a lot of the unnecessary fluff of a baseball game. The picking off 15 times over to first base, the stepping out just to go grab the rosin bag or the step, the taking time because you feel like the pitch is taking too long. Well, they can't take too long anymore because now there's a timer for it. I think that everything that they've done with this is honestly fantastic. Baseball. Yes. A lot of purists are going to say that it sucks. A lot of purists are going to say that this is going to ruin the game. Yada, 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 all that fun stuff. But what I see this right now is that this is going to take about maybe a month or two and then everyone's going to be used to it and everyone is going to like the fact that now you're going to go to a Mariner game or you're going to go to a game at 6 o'clock at your time and the game will be done before 10 o'clock or will be done before 9 o'clock and all that and you'll still be able to get home and get a decent night's rest before work the next day. Like, this makes sense on every visceral level that I can think of. The only place where it doesn't make sense 100% is that it's going to take a little bit of getting used to. They even tested this in the minor leagues and saw how well it worked. Now, you're putting it in the big leagues, and you're seeing the you're seeing the effects right before our very eyes right now, where these spring training games are lasting an average of about two and a half hours, where games, we were, like, astounded if a game lasted less than three hours before this. Like, the average length of a game was well over three hours in 2022. So now, you take that, make it into 2023 where games are two and a half hours or so. Now you're going to get something that people are going to be able to sit down and watch a lot more, pay attention a lot better, I'm going to say, from it as well. And you're going to have a product that is much more marketable alongside the players that are already showing how well they are. Yeah, so my three words, and it's sort of alluding to what you said, Alex, which is purists are mad. And I'll, I'll say this, but the baseball purist in me is like, are, are we really going to be ending games because, you know, a batter didn't get in the box in time? Like, you know, the, the, the ending of the Red Sox-Braves game the other day where the game ended in a tie because... I lost money I, on that. Yeah, well... Sounds like a stealer shooting I guess, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're really going to be deciding games if like, you know, it, you know, all right, the pitcher didn't step on them or didn't start his wind up in time or something, or it was like a fraction of a second late. But on the other hand, I'm like, man, these <laughs> spring training games are all under three hours. And it's been a long time since we've had, uh, the average ba- uh, game time in MLB be under three hours. And this thing is, I went to, uh, a few triple A games last year in Syracuse and no matter what the score was, the games were quick. I remember the last game I went to in Syracuse before I moved back home was it, it was the the Syracuse Mets and the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. And it was like a, a like a six five game or something. The game started at I think seven oh five and we were out of there by like nine forty. Like these games move and it is like I, I I love going to baseball games. Trust me, and I I love this sport so much. But when you know you go to, I, I'm thinking especially for day games. If you're going to a one o'clock game, that basically takes up your whole day going to this game. You know, you got to factor in commuting and all that. But now you go to a one o'clock game, you're done by like three thirty, and you can like depending on traffic, you should be back 
by like 4.30. That's like, that's no longer taking up your whole day is what I mean. So I, overall, I think this is a good thing. And I think we're going to see the benefits of it. And I think it will slow, slowly we'll all get adjusted to it. Um, but anyways, that's our, those are all our news-ish topics for today. Now we're going to move on to trivia, which today I have come up with the trivia segment. Alex has given me his blessing. So I say we go ahead and get on into this. And today, you know, in the past, I've done, you know, who did he play for, stuff like that. Today's trivia segment is who drafted him. So I have a list of 15 oh, players here. <laughs> and I, I am going to ask you, which team drafted these guys? Um, I feel like some of these are pretty easy and some of them you might have to do some thinking for it. So good luck to both of you. Uh as I always do, I'm going. I'm thinking of a number between zero and fifteen. So, uh, whoever guesses closer to my number gets to go first. Uh, who, uh, Splash? You go first. Pick a number between zero and fifteen. Uh, give me nine, please. Cool. Give me eight. Alex. All right, Splash was closer. It was thirteen. Uh, yeah. Splash, do you, do you want to? Do you want to go first, or do you want to defer? Uh, I will accept the coin toss. All right. I will, so I will receive. You will receive. All right. Are, so I, just make sure it's not you taking the wind. Just don't take the wind. Uh, I think that right. happened once in overtime. It was like yeah, a Bears. That's it. Game. That was that was the joke that I was making. Yeah, yeah they said oh. we'll take the wind. That we're like the the what now? <laughs> yeah. Or uh, uh, Alex, you're not gonna like this. We want the ball. We're gonna score. Yeah, we're gonna score. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry. I remember that. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, all right, Splash. So you're going first, and I'll start you out with the softball. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., what team drafted him? Oh, man. Uh, well, one of two legends to be born in Denora, Pennsylvania, on the same, was it February 24th? That sounds right. November 21st. Ah, clo- well, okay. Sure. Whatever. Um, he was drafted by one uh, Seattle Mariners. You are correct. So you are on the board. And j- just to remind you all, we do have the three strike system in place. So anyways, moving on, Alex, your player is Justin Verlander. Who drafted him? Uh, that would be, I believe that was the Detroit Tigers. Correct. He was drafted second overall in 2004. Good job. So, the, fact that you, the fact that you did not give me the man that actually has Griffey's name tattooed on my arm. Well, you know, that's on a, my arm. You got to give me I that. Thought- I mean, fair. Uh, all right, Splash. Uh, your player, your next player is Manny Machado. What team drafted him? Uh, one Manuel Machado was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles. That is correct. Manny Machado was drafted by the Orioles. So you're up two to one. Alex, your guy is Max Scherzer. What team drafted him? Oh, if I remember correctly, wasn't it the Diamondbacks? That is correct. He was drafted out of Missouri by the D-backs, traded a couple years later for in a part of a three-team trade for Ian Kennedy and Edwin Jackson, I believe. Okay. Uh, I, I do have a question. And wasn't Curtis Granderson in that trade, too? Um, yes, Curtis Granderson was. Uh, I, I'd imagine your the questions are here, obviously. So um, no players that were drafted by like multiple teams. Uh, no, it's when okay. they signed with their team. Gotcha. Who were they drafted by? Um, all right, so you guys are off to a pretty good start. Uh, Splash, next, 
Garrett Cole, who was he drafted by? Uh, Garrett Cole was drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's correct. He was drafted first overall by the Pirates. And to your question, he was drafted by the Yankees in the first round a couple years earlier, but he opted to go to UCLA. Uh, so, all right, Splash, Splash, you're you're still at 100%. Alex, your player is Trey Turner. What team drafted Trey oh. Turner? So, I don't think I know off the top of my head. I'm just going to go with the team that I know I'm best for, which is probably going to mean it's wrong. I'm going to go with the uh, Nationals. That is incorrect. He was yeah. drafted by the San Diego Padres. And then before yeah. he could play a game for the Padres, he was traded to the Nationals in a deal to get Will Myers. It, it, yeah, that was it was a three-team trade in which the Padres got Will Myers. Uh, and, technically, Turner was a player to be named later. Yeah, they, they changed the rule because it wasn't like really stupid that you just wait and wait and wait to make him the player to be named later. Exactly. That's what I mean. Uh, so, all right. So that's your first strike, Alex. Oh. But, uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes from here. Uh, Splash, your player is Gary Sheffield. What team oh, drafted him? Lord. Uh, I had to well, throw some dreaming in there. Yeah, first off, shout out to Trey Turner, two-time Padres legend. Um, again. Oh, Gary Sheffield. So late '80s. Um, they can't possibly be Atlanta. He was in Atlanta later in his career. I don't think the Marlins existed yet. The Rockies didn't exist yet. Um. I am going to go with a team I know he played for. I don't know if he was drafted by them, but the New York Yankees. That is incorrect. He played with the Yankees much later in his career. He was drafted by the Milwaukee Brewers in the first round. So uh, you guys both have one strike. Splash looks very mad at himself now. Um, (laughs) So, so, all right. So you guys are, I guess, still on an even playing field. Alex, I mean, even if she still has the advantage of going first, so yeah, that is true. Uh, Alex, <laughs> your player is Carlos Beltran. What team drafted him? Oh, oh, I don't know. Um, I, I legitimately don't know. I do have a guess. I don't think it's right. Um, I'm just gonna say the Mets. As incorrect, he was drafted by the Kansas City Royals. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So, Alex, you have two strikes now. So, let's see where it goes from here. Splash, your player is Cliff Lee. What team drafted him? Okay. I know he was in the Bartolo trade. So, he wasn't drafted by the Redacteds. I would like to go with the Montreal Expos. That is correct. Splash, yes. The Montreal Expos, and he was traded to Cleveland uh, in that Bartolo clone trade. So, all right. So, Splash, you're, I mean, you're you're in the lead still. Uh, Splash, or not Splash, Alex, your next player is Nolan Ryan. What team drafted him? Oh, no. Um. Okay. So... <sighs> Here's the thing is that I know that he's most famous for Astros and Rangers. And I know that he was 
like he still has very heavy stock in both of them. I'm trying to remember. I vaguely remember hearing the Rangers getting him because then he went to. Uh, but did he go to another team or was he with the Rangers from the beginning? Um, I think I'll probably get my third strike here, but I'm going to say the Texas Rangers. That is incorrect. Yeah. Um, all right. Since this is your third strike, I'm going to see if Splash can seal this. Uh, Splash, who who drafted Nolan Ryan? Uh, the New York Metropolitans. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, <laughs> the New York Mets drafted Nolan Ryan, and then after the 1970 season, traded him to the California Angels for Jim Fergosi. Wasn't Fergosi like actually good? He was for a bit, and then when the Mets got him, he was no longer good. So, yeah, basically, Nolan Ryan... Classic he, Mets? He, he was... Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> the thing. Is, and the Mets. That, that was the a Mets low blow. Got, <laughs> the, Met, the Mets got Jim Fergosi to replace Joe Foy, who they had gotten for... After they traded Amos Otis, who became a five-time All-Star for the Royals. Uh, Joe Foy was also a washed-up third baseman, but point is, yes, Nolan, uh, Nolan Ryan was drafted by the Mets... They did not hang on to him long enough. He did win a World Series for them, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So I guess because of this, Splash, you are the winner. Uh, I'm not going to drag this long, uh, drag this out any longer. Uh, I did have a few more players left, but that is was enough. Jeff I think. Bagwell on your list? Uh, no, Jeff Bagwell was not, Darn. but I did have uh, Edwin Jackson on there. As if if we needed a final trivia, Edwin Jackson was going to be the decider because was it Dodgers? He's played for. Yeah, it is the Dodgers. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I, okay, so I was mad at the Gary Sheffield one because I remember having a conversation with you because he started at shortstop and then moved yep, to third base and moved to the outfield. I just vividly remember that conversation, just blanked on it. But yeah, shout out to Edwin Jackson. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there were some that were going to throw people for a loop, but uh, yeah, so congrats, Splash, man. It, I feel like you win almost every single one of these, uh, whether it's against me or against Alex. So, uh, I mean, at what, least what... you put up a better fight than I do most of the time. I, I, I mean, that was a great sometimes. trivia topic. I think no, that's, that's a really good one. Yeah. Uh, thank so you. Thank a, you. You know, a little bit, uh, a little bit out there, you know, a little bit different because like we know, oh, well, he played for these guys, but like Trey Turner never played a game with the Padres. Much to the yeah, exactly. Juan Soto, but um, I would also like one of the players I was uh hoping that uh, like I think probably the most like obscure one that I know is uh David Ortiz being I believe drafted by the Mariners. If I, I, think, I think he was signed as an international free agent. Oh yeah, no, yeah, he was yeah. signed by international, yeah, because he never played a single game with Seattle, but he was in our minor league system for a while and was uh, part of this horrible, horrible trade. Didn't he allegedly <sighs> hit a hit a ball in a home run derby six hundred feet or something like so, yeah. something like that? Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a mark somewhere I believe in Bellingham, uh, where uh it was the Bellingham Bells at the time, where he, I think that's where like he hit it. At. I think there's a mark over there. Yeah. Uh. So I mean, yeah, there there were a number I considered for this, so I I sort of narrowed it down, but. Anyways, th- I mean, thank you guys for participating in that anyway. And, of course, Alex for letting me uh, run that. So now we're going to finish off this episode the way we finish off every, uh, every episode, which is with the moment to ourselves. So whoever wants to go first here, you get 60 seconds, give or take a few, to uh, talk about whatever. So 
Alex, it looks like you want to go first. Uh, uh, go on ahead. All right, thank you. So for my moment to ourselves, I want to say happy Pokemon Day to the people as we're recording this on Pokemon Day. I'm not going to spoil what happened on the Pokemon Presents today, but I'm going to say this right now, and I'm really, really sorry I have to say this. It was lackluster. It was boring. It was honestly pretty bad. Where the only main announcements, there was one really cool one for the trading card game, which that looks really fun. But there was some, I had a lot of hopes for this. And only one thing I asked for was talked about. And it was something that was basically guaranteed already. Was talking about DLC for something. I'm not going to establish what, but I felt like there was a lot of hope, a lot of promise for this. And there just wasn't anything to work off of. I think that right now, like, there's some good things and there's going to be more things coming up. But I think right now, Pokemon Company has had, they had such a huge success with Scarlet and Violet that seeing them now kind of drop the ball a little bit is a little disappointing here, especially when it comes to the DLC. Yeah, I unfortunately did not get to tune into that uh, because I was working, so... Anyway, don't splash. Worry. I, looked, I didn't. I don't yeah. think I spoiled anything from it into it, but right, um, I, I, I hope give, not. Yeah. Uh, splash. You looked like you wanted to go next, so do you want to go? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one. All right. So one of my favorite things about being a sports fan is having absolutely ludicrous ideas, right? So I listened to a Ryan Spader. Um, You can have your own opinion about him, but I listened to a fascinating idea that he had called like the designated runner, the like placement runner, whatever. So we have a designated hitter in both leagues. He didn't agree with it, but that's beside the point. But to counteract the designated hitter, don't let him run. Don't let him run. Shohei Otani wants to hit a single. Okay, then he's going to go off the field and you're going to bring in Joe Adele or insert quick player to run the bases for him. Fascinating idea. Don't know if it would work, but I do kind of miss National League Baseball. You know, pinch hitters, guys like the Mike Sweeney types, the Matt Stairs type. I think we're missing that in baseball. And I don't know how you would fix that because you want to play your best nine players every day. So that's tough. Pinch runners as well. Not to like yeah. add, uh, just I want to say that actually is a thing in high school. There's a thing called the courtesy runner. A courtesy yeah, runner. That's, huh. what he, that's that's what he used. That's what he said. My, yeah, my my mistake. Mis, misremembering a, it. That is certainly a. That's not a concept I'm aware of. So that's that's. <laughs> that's teach you about it know, after. Actually. I'll teach you about it after the podcast. All right. Well. <laughs> Uh, no, now I'm curious about that. Anyways, I'm going to get started in three, two, one. And I just want to talk about this upcoming season and these changes. And I know we, we hinted at it in our three words about the, uh, about the pitch clock and stuff. But I think this season, like these changes are for the good. And it's, it's not like the major leagues are the only league that are going to be banning the shift or having a pitch clock and all that. In fact, we're, I think this is there among the last leagues to be enforcing this in the United States, but I think really this it it's going to be good for the game. You no, know, I think you know you're going to need to be more athletic to play the field. You're going to have to be quick delivering the ball, and I think guys like you know I think Max Scherzer is going to be good. I think and man, I wish Mark Burley was still playing because he'd probably be excelling in this. Uh, and really, what I'm looking forward to above all though is really the topic game. I mean. Seven o'clock games, 
will be done at 9.30. I think this is good, and I'm really excited to see how this season plays out, in part because we might finally have the average game time be below three hours. So anyways, that is going to do it for us today. Uh, thank, thank you all for tuning in. Of course, thank you, Splash and Alex, for coming on once again. Make sure to follow all of us on Twitter. You can follow myself at Matthias underscore A underscore K. You can follow Alex at the Sports Guy 242, and you can follow Splash at Mr. Splashman 19. Of course, make sure to follow our Twitter account at LAR underscore baseball. You'll be seeing all sorts of content coming up as we gear up for the season. We are about nine days from the start of the World Baseball Classic. College baseball's already started, and we are a little over a month away from opening day, which we are all excited for. Baseball is back and Boy, this season's going to be a lot of fun. So keep tuning in. Thank you all for listening, and I hope to see you all real soon.